The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about peace building, and I'm so excited. I have a new friend, Professor Marco Turk, who's on with us today, and he has this new book called Visions in Conflict, Peace Building in Cyprus, A View from the Ground, and it is a wonderful book I've been reading. And he also is going to be our keynote at the Orange County Mediation Conference, which is going to be right here at UCI on March 14th at the University Club. And we are so excited. And I've sure had a lot of fun getting to know him by phone, planning for that and also planning for this. So we're very excited. And let me tell you about this wonderful professor. Professor A. Marco Turk is the former director of the Negotiation, Conflict Resolution, and Peacebuilding Program at Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. There he designed its current version. He's been an innovative visionary in curriculum improvement and creation at programs at CSUDH in on-campus online and blended formats. And prior to his arrival at that university in the fall of 2002, Professor Turk taught in the Global Peace and Conflict Studies program and in the Department of Criminology, Law, and Society right here at the University of California, Irvine, where he began his academic career back in 1995. Later, he co-designed and developed the first University of California system online distance learning program, including some course design to offer a UCI Master of Advanced Study in Criminology, Law, and Society, Professor Turk is a certified community and trial court qualified mediator, and he serves on the panel of the California Appellate Court Mediators, and as well as as an attorney neutral panel for alternative resolution centers. He's a member of the Southern California Mediation Association and the Peace Psychology Division 48 of the American Psychological Association. He's been a licensed attorney in California since 1961 and he is just he's also admitted to practice before the u.s supreme court and lower federal courts and as i said we're really excited because he's going to be right here on the campus on 
March 14th, and students get to come at half price. So look us up at ocmediationconference.org, and you'll be able to hear Professor Turk right in person, and he is wonderful. Thank you, Marco, so much for joining us. You're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Mari. <laughs> well, after that kind of pitch, I can... I, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, well, you're going to tell us a lot. First of all, tell me, why is it that you wrote this book, Visions and Conflict, Peace Building in Cyprus, A View from the Ground? How did that come about? Well, I worked in Cyprus as a Fulbright Senior Scholar from uh, 1997 to 1999, and then I've been back uh, several times since working with the Greek and Turkey Cypriots, and I've also uh, brought uh, Greek and Turkey Cypriots to the United States for the U.S. State Department in projects and programs. And I wrote um, a series of three law review articles for the um, International Comparative Law Review at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles about my work in Cyprus. So the book is a result of those three law review articles, basically um, the, the, the um, it's a compilation of those articles and a, and a bringing them up to date. That, it's really fascinating. Tell, tell my audience a little bit about what happened and what was going on with the conflict in Cyprus. Well, the conflict is between the Greek Cypriots and the Turkey Cypriots. Um, the uh, island uh, had been um, uh, a... Um, had been under control of the uh, British until 1960. In 1960, uh, the island got its independence as the Republic of Cyprus. And uh, the first president was a Greek Cypriot um, uh, Orthodox um, Archbishop Bishop Makarios. And so he was, uh, there was no division of church and state at that time. He was the president as well as the uh, Archbishop. And uh, they had a mixed uh, government for two years. Uh, there was a uh, the Greek Cypriot uh, president and a uh, Turkey Cypriot vice president, and on down the line. And after two years, it didn't work, and the um, the government fell apart. And basically, there was an ethnic cleansing by the um, Greek Cypriots of the Turkey Cypriots, and the Greek Cypriots took control. The whole island was was recognized uh, as the Republic of Cyprus. It's a member of the UN as the Republic of Cyprus. And so from that time forward, in 1962, the Greek Cypriots were in control. In 1974, some people will tell you that uh, Turkey invaded, and other people will tell you that Turkey came to the island to protect the Turkey Cypriots from the Greek Cypriots. But in, event, in any event, at that time, the, um, the uh, uh, Turkey uh, turned the tables on the Greek Cypriots and did to them what the Greek Cypriots did to the Turkey Cypriots, in 1962. So from 1974 to the present, there's a divided island. The southern portion of the island is controlled by the Greek Cypriot government, uh, which technically, as I said, is the whole island is the Republic of Cyprus. And the northern portion, is the northern one-third, is controlled by the Turkish Cypriots with the support of about uh, 30 to 40,000 Turkish troops. Wow. So, so the legitimate government is in the south. The government that they that the Greek Cypriots refer to as the unlawful portion is in the north, and they call it the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, which basically is supported by Turkey. Mm. And so you have this conflict between the two. The capital city of Nicosia is divided um, in half, and it's the last divided capital in the world. The um, What they call the green line or the buffer zone goes throughout the island, dividing um, the island into two-thirds and one-third. There was no specific design that it was one-third, two-thirds, but that's just the way it worked out. 
And um, so the UN monitors that so-called buffer zone, and that's how they live. And people think, well, there's peace in Cyprus. There's no peace in Cyprus. <laughs> it's basically a ceasefire. Oh, it could go dear. up at any time. So is there hope for reunification for them? Well, they've been trying for all this time, and it hasn't happened uh, for various reasons. I personally feel it's because the people at the top have a vested interest on both sides in keeping it separate because basically this has become their day jobs. Mm. And, of course, if there's peace, they won't have day jobs anymore. And um, when the people at the bottom, who I've worked with, with basically have understood what the situation is, they've started making their voices known on both sides. But to this day, nothing basically has happened. And um, I frankly don't think anything will happen unless they change the approach from the top. And so far, that has not happened. Mm. So when you have systematic problems like this, which we have in many places around the world, you know, how, how do you kind of pre-negotiate to kind of get people to even want to negotiate with each other? Well, it's an interesting concept because I don't know how many people in a negotiation situation, whether it's a, a, um, a business relationship or an international relationship or a conflict relationship in a country like this where you're dealing with um, ethnic division, I don't know how many people basically stop to think that you can't just walk to the table and start negotiating. <laughs> and my concept is it's sort of like in mediation. Uh, I use a, me- a pre-mediation approach where people understand about each other before they start the process. So in a situation like this, to pre-negotiate, you really have to get people together to understand about each other before you can get them at the table uh, to sit down and try to work out the the specific problems they're considering. So it's a question of of working to get people to understand that they're all alike. Yes, find our commonality, right? Yes. I mean, an example of that was when I was working in Cyprus, it was very difficult to get people to talk about political things. Mm. But because one side would say to the other, well, you're, you're guilty of your people raped our people, your people killed our people, there are missing people from our side that you are responsible for, and you won't talk about those, you won't disclose those, you took our property, and, and all sorts of things back and forth. And they sit in their level of charges, and they don't want to talk to the other person because the other person is the bad person. The other person did all these bad things to them. But when you get them to sit down and talk to each other and tell their stories and their memories, forgetting about the history because there's history on both sides, and the history depends on which side you're looking at it from. But when they sit down and they talk about their stories from their memories, they understand that they both have been through the same thing and that each side has done the same thing to the other side. And they're not leveling charges, but by telling their stories, they're talking about reality that shows them, yes, I guess we did this to you just like we're claiming you did this to us. So when you do that and they learn about each other and then you get them to sit down at the table and try to talk about this, which I did from the ground level when I worked with the Oslo group, which were Greek and Turkish Cypriots at the, at the ground level, uh, they understand it. Then they can start negotiating. Yes, You know, you bring them to the human side. You know, so many times in mediation, and I know you see this all the time, Marco, is that we see people want to blame, you know, the blame and the guilt and the guilt and the blame, and you get into this. But like you said, when you get into the stories, you're not talking about blaming. You're talking about your own hurt or losing your family or losing your brother or losing your child. And everyone can relate to those emotions that we all have. It sounds like that's what you were doing. Is that right? Absolutely. 
and you, if, I, if I say to you, well, you did this to me, you're leveling a charge, and the other person doesn't want to listen about listen right, to that. Right. But if I tell you my story of what happened to me without saying who did it, but this is what I experienced, yes, and you've experienced the same thing, there's some kind of camaraderie that that comes to pass at that point. When, when I took the um, uh, 52 Cypriots, uh, 26 from each side, to Oslo in 1998 to try to get them to work together, when we when we were finishing and leaving, we were leaving the hotel. There were two uh, women, older women, who were standing next next to the elevator, and they were crying and they were hugging each other. And I walked up and I asked them what what was the problem, and they said, "Well, they had never seen. They were each from a different a different side of the island. Right. They said they had never seen anybody from the other side before. This was the first time they had done that." And they didn't know each other before this getting together, but having spent the week together there, they were crying because they were afraid they would never see each other again. Oh, how beautiful is that? That is so, just wonderful. This is what happens when people share their feelings and their memories. Yes, yes. And, you know, we've had here at UCI, we've had um, kids go over to Israel and Palestinians and Israelis. And when they go over there and they have these common experiences together and see both sides, there was real camaraderie there too, because we've had problems on the campus with um, Palestinian kids and, and um, Israeli or Jewish kids. And so that's, you know, just getting to know those stories and getting to know each other as humans. And that commonality is really a key. So once you got them to the, um, to the table to start talking. How do you establish the ground rules? Well, um, I establish the ground rules the same way we would establish them uh, in any type of mediation. Uh, we talk about what's going to happen and how they're going to work together. Uh, we decide, decide on an agenda and what the issues on the agenda are going to be, and we order those issues. And then um, I also show them some um, communication skills and how to talk and work with each other. Uh, and we all agree upon the ground rules. We agree upon the agenda, and we agree, agree how we're going to go forward. And so we move forward on that basis. And it really worked very well. I, I found out that um, when I took them there that for that week, the first three days, I guess it was, we spent on connecting and communicating skills. Um, we uh, connecting and communication skills, and we went through these exercises, and we did some role plays, and and we did some interactive uh, conversation. And when we started actually talking about what they were going to negotiate with and on, uh, on the fourth day, it went very smoothly. And then uh, uh, I brought them back to uh, to Cyprus, and they worked uh, independently for six months, getting together um, uh, like once a month. Uh, not the whole group, but just their subcommittees, and then went back to uh, Oslo. That was in July. Went back to Oslo in December, and they sat down, and for the next week they pounded out this Oslo agreement between them. And of course, it was nothing official because they were all people from the ground and not from the governments, but they worked on it from the people's level. And the Annan plan that was eventually presented by the United Nations as a settlement had many of these elements that these folks had agreed to on the ground several years before. That's so wonderful to show that that they really had the, the heart of the issue there. So how did you establish that trust? You know, people don't want to do, do business or negotiate or mediate with people 
that they don't trust. What, what did you do to establish that trust so that you could um, get them to actually just setting up the agenda was a negotiation, <laughs> right? I mean, that was a negotiation in itself. That was the pre-negotiation to be able to even come to, um, you know, like you said, the, uh, the ground rules. But so how did, how do you think um, you established the trust so that they were willing to stay and work on the actual issues? Well, these were all people that I personally selected, and, these, and, and, and I selected them from the groups that I had worked with. I had been working, I had created, when I got there in 1997, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but when you go on a Fulbright Senior Scholar Award, uh, nobody tells you what to do. You apply for the award, you get the award, and then you go and you're supposed to do it. And uh, they provide assistance when you ask for it, but basically you're on your own, you have to do your own thing. So I designed a 40-hour mediation training program that I would work with people on each side. I couldn't train them together, so I'd go back and forth training, uh, conducting these uh, 40-hour training programs. So, of course, people from both sides flocked to the trainings. And, in fact, if I'd had more than seven days a week, I probably could have done <laughs> more trainings than that. My big problem was I never could say no. I'd finish a 40-hour training, and somebody said, well, you do another one, and I said yes. <laughs> and so... Um, I didn't have much time to enjoy things on the island because I was always working, but I would never say no, and I would do these trainings. So when it came time to put this group together to try to train them, I couldn't train them together on the island, so our government and the uh, Norwegian government spent a lot of money for me to take them to Oslo, Norway, to do this. So I had selected people from all of these uh, training groups that I had worked with, so the... the um, your best students? The, uh, was, was it your uh, best students? <laughs> They, so I'm sorry? I said, were they your best students? Yes, they were. <laughs> they were my best students <laughs> because they, they had a material interest and they really wanted to learn because they wanted to use these things in their personal lives. Plus, right. they figured this was a way to the peace process. Right. And so the trust came from my working with them. And I had established this relationship with them in advance on both sides. And so I had their trust. So when I selected them, they came. In fact, the Turkey Cypriots came um over the opposition of their regime. Mm. Their leader did not want them to come. That and, makes it a little bit difficult, right? Yeah, but they came, and they and they basically they came for me. And uh, yes. I don't say that egotistically. It's just a no, result no, no. of the trust. But, yes. You have to build trust with the people you're working with. And that's such an important point in any mediation. You know, the disputants don't trust each other, but they have to trust the process and they have to trust the mediator. And if they don't trust the process, but they trust the mediator, then you can get them in the door. And then hopefully the mediator can help to build that tr trust in the process because the process is working. So, yeah, let's go back and talk a little bit about that that Fulbright Senior Scholar Award. How, how did that come about? Well, it was my second year of teaching at UCI, and uh, I had... Um, uh, uh, dean Stokels, who was at that time the dean of um, the School of Social Ecology, had put me together with a research psychologist, Robert Beck, and uh, we designed a program called the Family Peacemakers Program, which was uh, mediation-based, uh, and it was uh, through the use of videotapes. 
uh, where the family, the entire family would come and, and be trained, and they would go home and do homework, and then they'd come back and go back and forth. And it was designed to deal with youth offender violence in the family. Mm-hmm. And the youth offender was the one who was responsible for putting all this together each week. And it was sort of like therapy, but it wasn't therapy, although a lot of therapeutic principles were used. And so this this Family Peacemakers program was designed by us, and we had an arrangement with the Orange County Superior Court and the Juvenile Court Division to put that into operation, but we needed private funding and we couldn't get it. Mm. So nothing happened with that, and one day in the mail, I got a mass, post, mass mail postcard from Fulbright. Uh, I, I guess it was sent to academics throughout the United States asking if I wanted to have a Fulbright, and if I did, would I send for a catalog? So I sent off a request for a catalog, and I got a catalog, and in the catalog I looked, and under my, my discipline of law and my specialty of conflict resolution, I saw this uh, possibility of getting a Fulbright to go to Cyprus, uh, and that was the only one listed for conflict resolution in the entire world, and I thought that was sort of strange, because after all, there was the uh, the Irish problem and others, but here they right. had Cyprus, and like I said, I didn't know much about Cyprus, but so I, I applied for a, a sent. You know, I looked in, I followed the requirements, and I I uh, contacted the program officer in Washington and asked her how to follow through. And she said, well, I think you ought to check with some of the prior Fulbright uh, senior scholars in Cyprus and get some suggestions as to what you think you could propose as a program. Hmm. So I did, and making a long story short, I decided that I would take the Family Peacemakers program and I would convert it to cases of domestic violence in Cyprus because domestic violence was one of the areas of my interest. And so uh, I applied and I found out that there were cases of domestic violence on both sides in Cyprus, and it was something that needed attention. So I applied for the Fulbright uh, utilizing or using the Family Peacemakers program to deal with cases of domestic violence in Cyprus. Wow. And so uh, I ended up getting the award. I applied for four months. They told me I had to go for nine so my wife and I picked up stakes and went for nine and ended up staying two years. But I, but I applied for it to, in the way I've just said. And when I got there, of course, nobody told me what to do. I did one training uh, concerning a woman's shelter uh, in the Greek Cypriot portion. And then one day, somebody from the community movement contacted me and said, well, we're having problems trying to get together with people on the other side. Would you help us? So one thing led to another, and I started working, getting both sides together at the ground. And one day I went into the executive director with Fulbright, and I said, you know, Daniel, I'm really happy to be here. I'm not complaining. I'm just asking, can you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing here? He said, you're supposed to be doing just what you're doing. And I said, well, that isn't what my award says. He said, I know. I said, well, but my award says, uh, it said specifically to go to Cyprus and uh, utilize the Family Peacemakers Program in cases of domestic violence. He said, that's right. Well, I said, but that's not what I'm doing. He said, right. I said, well, then why am I here? He said, because you're a lawyer and you have all that conflict resolution experience and we wanted you here to work and doing exactly what you're doing, but we couldn't get you here if we didn't give you the award you requ- the way you applied for it. We have to give you the award you, the way you applied for it. So that's why you got here. But once you got here, you're supposed to be doing what you're doing now. I said, good. Thank you very much for explaining that to me. 
Yeah. It only took four months to figure that out, but that's what it was. And so I did, I guess, what I was supposed to be doing. Yes, and it, and it evolved, and they learned a lot. And hopefully all the people that you trained are still training, like train the trainer, so that, that those skills are going to go on for perpetuity and hopefully make big changes because that, that's the kind of influence that you had. Well, that's actually what's happening, Mari. That's a very interesting thing because I did train people to train others from those initial groups. I took individuals who I thought could do it from those various groups that I trained and trained them as trainers. And about, um, I guess it was two months ago, maybe it's a month ago, I'm, I'm, I get an email message, and the message is from the former executive director of Fulbright there. He's sending me a message. He said, Marco, I just want you to know that I'm sitting in a training conducted by any names for the people that I trained you. They're not conducting a training, and I'm taking their training, so I just want you to know the legacy that you have left here. I just looked at that thing, and I said, my goodness. This is 2000, that was was 2013, and I got the message, and then I looked back, and this other training that I started was in 1997. Wow, that is just, that is incredible, isn't it? It's just so heartwarming to know that, when you're doing that, that it just spreads and, yeah. and these people can really become more evo- and, you know, evolved as they're training others and getting the same kind of satisfaction that you got. So let's talk a little bit. We don't, yeah, we have, we have a little bit more time. What do you see as the future of peace building efforts in, in areas of conflict around the world? What's the future of that? Well, you know, that's a hard question to answer because it really depends upon the area right. and the people and who, who, are those, who the people are who are going to do the training. And um, I can't speak for how people do it because I haven't been every place. I've been very few places, actually. But um, I think it depends upon how the people who are going to do the training undertake the responsibility that they're assuming. And by that, I mean... When I went to Cyprus, I went there thinking I'm going to bring to bear all this supposed knowledge that I have in how to do this from a Western point of view. And I didn't even think about it from a Western point of view. I just thought about it from the standpoint, this is what I know, this right. is what I've learned, this is what I teach, and I'm going to go and I show them. Yeah. I was there five minutes, and I, were, I, I realized I can't do that. Yeah. I had to understand who they were, what they were, what they were capable capable of, what their situation was, what their customs and their um, uh, uh, mores are or were, and how they functioned. And I could not just bring to them what I knew and try to get them to do it. Uh, I had to find out what they were about and what they wanted, what they needed, and then try to design what I had to work for them. So I think that, you know, in the Peace building is really what I call an area of pre-peace building. Yes. Pre-peace building is sort of like what I referred to earlier in connection with the uh, pre-negotiation or pre-mediation aspects. We have to find out about who we're going to be working with and try to design what it is for their benefit so that they will come along and be able to utilize it from their standpoint and not ours. And I don't think that many people think about that before they go into these situations. They go in and they think they're going to bring our ways of doing things to try to get those people to come to some kind of accommodation, and it doesn't work that well. And isn't that like really every mediation that we walk into? It's like that adage, seek first to understand, then be understood. It's that whole idea of we need to see 
where they are. When we walk into mediation, we ask people to tell the stories, just like you asked the people to share their stories with each other so that they could get their commonality once they share their story, who they are, what they need, what they love, what they what they're fearful of. Once they know that and once you know that, then you can be helpful to them. So I think it's it's wonderful. Even if we're talking to people right here on the campus, if you have a problem with a neighbor or with a fellow student or with a professor, first try and understand the other person's perspective before you even share yours, because that will help you to understand, right? Absolutely, and it also helps to come to a resolution, because if you let the other person have their say first and feel that they've been heard and they've been able to express what their interests and underlying needs are, it's going to be a lot easier for you then to express yours. Exactly. Well, I want to tell you how much we appreciate your coming on, and we're so excited that you're going to be our wonderful keynote in the morning at uh, UCI right here at the University of California, Irvine, at the uh, faculty, what's it called, the... University Club? Yeah, the, thank you. The, <laughs> anytime, there. Mari. I'm glad there. to help out anytime. <laughs> I've been there a million times because I teach there too, and they always have these things, but I just, it blew my mind, went blank. But you are wonderful, Marco Turk, <laughs> Professor Marco Turk, and uh, he is the author of Visions in Conflict, Peace Building in Cyprus, A View from the Ground, and we are so thrilled to have you on as our guest, and we're also so thrilled that you're coming right here back to the campus. So you have a wonderful, wonderful day, okay? You too, Mari, and thank you very much. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Yes, you, hopefully. Bye-bye. You've been Bye. listening to KUCI. You. You're welcome. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. Thank you.